Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life and Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Stimmy. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. Again, I am your host, the one and only. Anthony, Denmark, Denmark, like the country. To all my college football fans out there, we, of course, are happy. You may say, why, Denmark? Well, we are now at 184 days until kickoff. 184 days until Michigan versus Florida. Now, of course, on our podcast at this particular time, we are reviewing a lot of programs across the country, touching base in regards to how these teams have performed, in regards to recruiting, also in regards to the players who are preparing for the NFL Combine, and everything else under the sun. Because we know, we do know, that although stadiums are, at least at this particular point, empty, tailgating going on, there's no lines, there's no traffic, we, however, do know that there's definitely a lot of things going on in the world of college football. And as usual, since I consider it my duty, my calling, my responsibility, we have a lot of things to talk about on tonight's show. On tonight's show, we're going to talk about the Florida Gators. We're going to talk about the new Gators, who, of course, signed literally a month ago. We're going to talk about the old Gators, the guys who, of course, are graduated or declared for the draft, who are prepping for the NFL Combine. And, of course, we're going to talk about – some of the inconsistencies that have been taking place in the Florida Gator program. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at the Florida Gators, oftentimes I look for comparison. And in the pro ranks, at least in the NFL, I think the best comparison for the Florida Gators are the Houston Texans. Houston Texans, of course, have a dominant defense, but a questionable limited offense, despite having a playmaker on that offense in DeAndre Hopkins. And no more is it more prevalent than what you see that's taking place down in Gainesville with the Florida Gators. The Florida Gators and Jim McElwain's two seasons there have had back-to-back SEC East crown, but outside of that, it has been utter disappointment. They, of course, looked horrible, bowl games, but when you look at the talent on the roster, of course we know the defense leaves little to be questioned about, but the offense, it's where a lot of the frustration lies. And so while I was in line at lunch trying to figure out what I was going to get on the menu at McDonald's, the lady asked me, which, which Big Mac do you want? Do you want the junior? Do you want the regular? Or do you want the supreme? And I don't know about you, but it made me think specifically about Coach Mack, of course, the Florida Gators head coach. It made me think about the offense, and it made me wonder what type of match you would expect in Gainesville 
in the 2017 year season. We do know they have the offense. We do know they have the potential. We do know they have the talent. But ultimately, just as it's the question oftentimes in Houston with the Texans, is do they have the quarterback? Now, of course, we do know in the, in the state of the Florida Gators, they welcomed in two additional quarterbacks in this class. They also, of course, brought in an athlete who may get some run at quarterback. But still, we have to ask ourselves, it's been 10 years since Tim Tebow led the Gators to a national championship. It's been three years since the Gators resembled a respectable offense. However, due to Will Greer's inability to stay clean, he's no longer there. And the Gator Nation find themselves back in a state of uncertainty, trying to figure out how they are going to finally find an answer to their ongoing quarterback issue. So we're going to talk about that on tonight's show. And, of course, since we do know that the NFL Combine is alive and ready, we're going to also talk specifically about some of those Gators who are going to be auditioning uh, amongst the 32 teams, the scouts, to find out what our expectations should be for these young men as they embark on the next challenge in their life of finally, after, what, two years of playing college football for free, finally getting an opportunity to finally, hopefully, get paid for it. So that's what we're going to talk about on tonight's show. And I'm excited, enthused about the guests that we have coming on to talk about that. In addition to that, after we talk about those particular things related specifically to the Gators, we're also going to talk broadly and generally about the NFL Combine. We're going to talk about what my expectations are, my concerns, my questions, and also point out to you guys some pretty obvious trends that oftentimes find itself getting overlooked. So interesting in the NFL Combine, the same stars that, of course, adorn the names of so many players, five stars to four stars to great All-Americans, you see that when it comes down to combine time, those stars mean absolutely nothing. For the sake of the Florida Gators right now, a team that is overwhelmed with talent on both sides of the ball, we got to find out where's the O with Coach Mack. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get our call on the line. His name is Neil Schumann. He writes for In All Kinds of Weather. He covers the Florida Gators. Trying to find out where's the O, Coach Mack. Welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, of course, we do know on tonight's show we're going to talk about the old Gators, the new Gators, and what our expectations should be uh, for the Gators going into spring practice, which, of course, I believe started yesterday. Now, of course, we can just dive right in. Uh, We'll talk about the new Gators first. Now, of course, we do know traditionally defense has not really been a concern uh, for the Gators, although, of course, they do bring in a new defensive coordinator and Randy Shannon. But on the offensive side of the ball, that's where a lot of the uncertainty lies. And it's not for a lack of talent. It's largely just due to a lack of execution. When you look at this 2017 haul on the offensive side of the ball, uh, what are some of your thoughts and expectations? Well, it's going to start with the quarterback position, as I think everybody who follows Gator football has been hearing for the past five, six, seven years now. Uh, it really depends on who they get behind center and how much experience he gets this spring and then how he does in the fall. 
and then how he does in live action in the first few games of the season and then moving forward. The guy who a lot of people expect to be the starter right now is Felipe Franks. He is new in a sense that he redshirted last year, but he's experienced in the sense that he redshirted last year, and he was there to watch Austin Appleby and Luke Del Rio and just take a year of coaching from McElwain and Nussmeyer and get an idea of how college football works. Now, he does have a tendency to do some things he probably shouldn't in practices and drills, but the talent is there. He has the potential to be a star. And really, when you look at some of the film from the last couple of years, all Florida was missing was a quarterback. They had, they have the offense, they had the offensive line last couple of years. They had a couple guys going to the pros. DJ Humphreys now with the Cardinals. David Sharp's going to be a top pick this year. Uh, Martez Ivey's going to be when he goes. Tyler Jordan's going to be on the team when he goes. They're all going to be NFL offensive linemen. The skill position guys were there, guys like Kelvin Taylor, Jordan Scarlett, uh, Michael Piran last year, Mark Thompson, receivers, Antonio Callaway, Tyree Cleveland broke out at the end of last year. You can go on and on and list off all the guys who have contributed to the Florida Gators offense, and the offense has still not been up to standards because of the one common denominator of not having a quarterback. So I think once that gets settled, everything else will just fall into place. Absolutely. Now, of course, like in the opening of the show, when I compared the current state of the Florida Gators offense, I kind of compared it to what's going on down in the NFL with the Houston Texans, where they have all the pieces but the quarterback position. Now, of course, we do know that in this class, they did welcome two quarterbacks and an athlete as well. And according to reports, you know, Jim McElwain has said that he's going to be opening up the offense a little bit, going to try to employ uh, more runs by the quarterback. And although, of course, we do know that, you know, you have an elite 11 quarterback and a two-time state champion quarterback in Jake Allen, but the guy that I want to know about is Kadarius Toney. Tell my listeners a little bit about this guy. He, of course, is an athlete. He is so good that he's actually uh, may actually get some looks at wide receiver as well. Well, Tony is an athlete because he is, for I mean, there's no other way to put it, he is athletic. He can do a lot of different things with the ball in his hand, and he can throw the ball a bit. So if nothing else, expect him to be put in the game as a decoy here or there to make defenses sort of look around and say, uh, wait, did we prepare for this? Or no, we didn't. But I think he can be more than that, obviously. He's got the talent to be a wide receiver at the college level, um, he's got some work to do, obviously, with guys like Callaway and Cleveland already having, in Cleveland's case, somewhat establishing himself. But he could definitely find a role for himself on this Florida offense somewhere. Maybe it's at running back. Maybe there's just too many wide receivers who cannot, who McElwain just can't sit down and Mac says, okay, well, maybe we'll try you with slot. Maybe something happens to Brandon Powell. Maybe he gets moved back to running back or something. I don't know. A lot of things can happen throughout the course of an offseason and then throughout the course of the season. But he is purely athletic enough and explosive enough to get some looks somewhere at some point down the road. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, oftentimes they say too much of a good thing is never a bad thing. But when you look at the abundance of wealth and talent at the wide receiver position, I mean, prior to the 2017 class, they already had, I think, I believe, like six four-star wide receivers. Then, of course, now you add in – James Robinson, and you added Daquan Green. I mean, my goodness. I mean, is there going to be an opportunity for Robinson and Green to get on the field next season? Well, they're going to compete for it. Uh, Them coming in later than everyone else's 
already practicing doesn't help them. Their Gators are actually pretty thin at wide receiver this spring. They only have, I believe, Hannah, uh, Callaway, and, and Cleveland. Uh, other guys are injured. Dre Massey is still recovering from an ACL. Uh, Swain, Freddie Swain, is still recovering from a shoulder injury. And so they're they're banged up. So we're going to get to see a couple guys in the spring do what they do, you know, get some more reps, learn to trust a new quarterback, whether it's Franks or Trask. And then in the, in the fall, we're going to see, at least I think, we're going to see a whole new competition open up. We're going to see guys like James Robinson come in. We're going to see how quickly he adjusts to the college game, how well he meshes with Felipe Franks. We're going to see some tight ends coming up. We're going to see the two tight ends we've got coming back from last season in Seante Lewis and DeAndre Goolsby. So there's a lot of purely talented guys there, but I think the fact that there's just so much of it is going to make McElwain sit back and think, well, you know what? We may as well just have some kind of open tribe or something. We're just going to let everybody go out and see who impresses me, and then we'll go from there. But I would definitely not count out someone like James Robinson or, or Daquan Green or both of them from getting looks in the offense. We've seen young guys step into big-time roles pretty quickly in the last couple of years, and, you know, they might be the next two guys. Absolutely. Of course, we do know that hopefully, you know, one of the benefits is maybe it could, of course, take off some of the reduce the workload of Antonio Galloway, who, in my opinion, has carried far too much weight on his shoulders during his short time. Uh, in Gainesville, of course, he struggled with injuries throughout last season. He also, of course, dealt with the injury bug during his freshman year as well. But, of course, now focusing on the defensive side of the ball, I, for one, for myself, I think for at least three years, we've kind of taken the defense for granted. And oftentimes, you know, now we realize when you look at the overhaul that's going to be necessary on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, it's massive. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you got eight Gators in uh, NFL combine, mostly defensive players. However, we do know that there has to be talent to replace these guys. I mean, Davises and Brantleys just don't grow on trees. How do the Gators do in regards to addressing uh, their needs along the defensive line? Well, there, it's going to have to be a case of three-star guys who've been completely overlooked stepping up and balling out. You know, someone like Boshan Joseph was very – very lightly recruited, I'd say. And now he's the talk of the Gators right now after that hit he put on Danny Etling in the LSU game to probably save that game. So, you know, we've seen guys who have not been too highly touted stepping up here and there. Uh, We saw someone who was very highly touted stepping up toward the end of the season in Chauncey Gardner. It's going to be a young defense next year. It's going to be a defense that's maybe not that well-known in terms of the personnel, but by mid-season, I would think they'd get the kinks worked out, and by the end of the season, I think they'll be playing at a very high level again. The, the talent certainly is there. Jim McElwain and, and when Jeff Collins was here, he knew what he was doing, too, in terms of recruiting. And so there's there's some good football players on that defense. It's just a matter of them growing up. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Neil Shulman. He covers the uh, Florida Gators for com. Now, of course, we do. Now we can focus on the old Gators. Of course, we do know that at this particular time, several of these older Gators are now auditioning for their next job. They're having the biggest uh, job fair of their careers. Uh, And I want to ask specifically about my man, the guy who I think is probably one of the most talented Gators who oftentimes gets overlooked, and that's Alex Anzalone. How is he doing in regards to his, his, his 
ongoing bouts with injuries. Is this guy finally healthy and ready uh, to participate in the NFL combine? Well, he's he's okay. Uh, again, the the history of injuries is going to be what concerns other teams because they can look at him and just go through his medical files and say, well, this guy had this, this guy had that, this guy never really stayed healthy. So I'm not even really concerned about how healthy he stays in the next few months. And even, you know, between now and draft day, I don't think anything is going to be as big a concern for him as his history of injury. So the damage may have already been done in that respect. Now, again, he is an incredibly talented linebacker. He is a playmaker. His teammates love to play for him, and any team who does any digging into him is going to find that out very quickly. But, again, I think those that history of injuries is going to be what ultimately costs him what should be, I would think, a first or second round pick in terms of talent. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that uh, last season in the uh, Super Bowl, um, Mr. Neal did a wonderful job representing Florida, of course, it would have been great for the Falcons to win this game. But nevertheless, I think his performance did a remarkable job in regards to possibly even boosting the reputation of the Florida Gators' DBU reputation even further. Tell my listeners a little bit what they should expect from Tez Tabor and Quincy Wilson. And uh, Marcus May, who in my opinion probably is, is overlooked, which is a far huge mistake. It's funny. Last year during the Arkansas game, Florida was kind of getting – dragged up and down the field, and everyone was saying, oh, where's the defense? This is our top-ranked defense. What happened to DBU? And there were some fans who were saying, you know what? Duke Dawson is probably the best cornerback on this Florida team. They're probably just joking. They're probably upset in the heat of the moment. But Dawson played a, a hell of a game that day against Arkansas, and that was on a day where those other three guys that you mentioned were on the field. Florida's defensive backfield last year was so loaded that some guys who were just absolute ballers and stars and maybe potential pro bowlers in the NFL are getting overlooked themselves. Marcus May was probably not fourth, maybe the fifth best. Do you want to say Chauncey Gardner is going to develop into someone better than May? Fourth or fifth best defensive back on that team. So it's easy to get overlooked in that way by sheer numbers. Quincy Wilson. I mean, the guy is just so aggressive. He's so quick. I think he got beat twice last year throughout the entire season. So, I mean, you want to put him up, put him up against some of the best receivers in the country, and he's going to shut them down. And I mean, you know, there's a, there's a learning curve in the NFL. The guys are bigger. They're faster. They've been doing it a lot longer than the guys he went up against in college. But he's going to pick it up pretty quick. He, Quincy's no idiot. He's going to pick it up very fast. And I think after maybe a year or two, you can start talking about him being up – for a Pro Bowl. Now, Tabor, I think his play recognition puts him in a class of his own. There's been a debate among Gator fans. Tabor, Wilson, who's better? Wilson is, no, Tabor is, no, Wilson, no, Tabor, back and forth. I don't really think it's that big a difference, but I would give Tabor a slight edge because of his ability to detect plays before they start. There was a play against Kentucky where he just jumped in front of the route and intercepted the ball before it was even really thrown there. He had to kind of reach behind him to get it because he had beaten the play so badly that he beat the ball to where it was supposed to be. But he and Wilson are going to make two teams very happy, and I think May will too. Absolutely. Of course, when I think about these two dynamic defensive backs, for me, I think the perfect comparison is a pair of Kansas Jayhawks defensive backs who, of course, are now getting played in Denver. Uh, who are now playing in Denver, of course, Akeem Tlaib and Harris. 
And I think when you look at it from a per- personality perspective, it's even a better match. So when you think about Tabor, you kind of see the same personality and a key to lead, man. When you think about Harris, Harris is not one that's going to be a big talker, but his production does all the talk for him. And, of course, in my opinion, I think that embodies Quincy Wilson the best as well. Of course. Wilson, I mean, you know, he's he's run his mouth a bit before, and maybe at times more than he probably should have. But, you know what, he goes out and he backs it up. So I really can't say too much about that. And maybe some NFL teams won't like it, but a lot of other NFL teams will. And when he can back up what his mouth puts out there, I mean, really, that that kind of attitude along with that kind of being able to back it up mentality and then going out and backing it up itself as opposed to just thinking that he can go back it up. NFL teams are going to love that. They're going to make sure that he's displayed front and center on their tickets within a year or two, and he will become a fan favorite. Absolutely. Of course, like I said before in the opening, we have 184 days until Florida versus Michigan. And between that time period, we're going to get a lot of questions answered about both the new Gators as well as the old Gators. I want to thank you, Neil, for coming on to the show. And I definitely want to have you on throughout the season as we continue to monitor the progress of Jim McElwain and the Florida Gators. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Now, of course, one of the things that's often interesting when we think about college football, oftentimes these so-called power power five conferences with these power five teams oftentimes find themselves garnering most of the attention, which, of course, is understandably so. When you look at teams like the Florida Gators, Alabama, LSU, Florida State, Oklahoma, USC, Ohio State, Michigan, those are the teams that you see on TV. However, what thing that I find often interesting, and one of the reasons why I find myself enjoying the NFL Combine as much as I do, is for that one brief moment, players from schools such as Towson, players from schools such as Louisiana Tech, players from schools such as Texas A&M Kingsbury, they get an opportunity to show that they are just as talented, if not more talented, and they're more popular, more televised counterparts. It's a time very exciting and very fulfilling to be able to see. Now, of course, each year during the draft, we get these names, we get a collection of names, and we're going to find ourselves always looking to see how they perform. Guys who, of course, have found themselves gaining notoriety due to the amount of time that we see them on the television, or also due to their, their impressive track record that, of course, did well in high school and performed well in college. But again, the NFL Combine provides an opportunity for for other guys to be able to stand up, speak out, and get noticed. And so, of course, you know, at this particular juncture, before these young men do the three-cone drills, the position drills, and the 40s, the more popular guys from the Power 5 Conference at this particular juncture have generated the most buzz. However, we do know that in about 72 hours, the guys who you may not have watched on TV, the guys who, of course, may have played at Florida, played against Florida, played against LSU, and their team may have lost in a blowout game, we get a chance to see that these guys actually had athletes too. And these guys actually have athletes who, if in fact they had the ability to, or the opportunity or the scholarship to attend and play at some of these bigger-name institutions would have been able to perform just as well, if not better, than their more fortunate, more televised counterparts. So 
what I found myself doing is I gathered a list of observations of things that I'm going to find myself looking to and expecting in this upcoming NFL combine. So here we go. Number one, off top, is we know that the players that come from Alabama are going to have a substantial history, injury history. And, of course, as reports came out today that Mr. Allen, of course, the all-world defensive tackle, Mr. Allen, who actually got some votes for the hot Jonathan Allen, the guy I'm referring to, it was reported that this guy already has arthritis in his shoulders at 23 years old, arthritis in his shoulders. And, of course, oftentimes we find with players who come from Alabama is we see that often they have peaked in college, and at that particular juncture we see that they often find themselves unable to be able to expand on their athletic abilities once they get paid to play. Now, of course, I do know that there are exceptions to the rule. We do know that Julio Jones went ahead and performed. is probably about to become the highest-paid wide receiver in the league. Uh, right now it's Antonio Brown, but that will be short-lived. We do know, of course, about the, the linebacker in Baltimore. We do know about Amari Cooper in Oakland. We do know about a few, a few Alabama Crimson Eye players who, of course, have went on to continue to have – tremendous amounts of success in the NFL. But when you look at the amount of the massive amount of numbers of players from Alabama who get drafted, you see that very few of them actually make it to their second contract. Observation number two is wide receivers who play for USC, they're just slow. And the thing is is oftentimes we find it very surprising. And I don't know if it's because it's poor defensive back play in the Pac-12, but it seems as if that history has indicated and shown to us that US, USC wide receivers are just traditionally slower. I mean, you look at Dwayne Jarrett, and you even look at Keyshawn Johnson, and you look at Robert Woods, who, of course, during his time at USC, I actually thought this guy was supposed to be this dynamic playmaker, this guy who was supposed to be able to run these blazing dimes. But then he came to the NFL combine and ran a 4-6-2. So with the latest batch of USC wide receivers who will be auditioning at the NFL combine, I, for one, will not be surprised if Juju Smith-Schuster won something like a 4-7. And it's not just because he went to USC. It's not just because he wore the number nine, which it seems as if you wear the number nine at USC, you will run slow as Marquise Lee ran slow, I expect Juju Smith-Juster to also run slow as well. Third observation, if you want an offensive tackle, shut off your television. Because the likelihood of you being able to find a talented offensive tackle who played in a Power 5 conference, who actually won more than 10 games, and possibly even played on a New Year's Six bowl game or even contended for a national championship or won a national championship, those teams don't have elite tackles. And, of course, currently, as projected, the top tackle, Rollins, a 25-year-old junior college transfer that attended Utah, is the top tackle. 
It's not the guy Cam Robinson who people now say may just need to go ahead and transfer to make the transition to guard. It's not a guard or offensive tackle from Ohio State or or from LSU or from oh Michigan. It's Bowles from Utah. Third observation. A third observation is we see that history has shown us thus far that if, in fact, you want a talented defensive back, you know what? You may not even have to draft a guy in the first round. As, of course, we saw during the Super Bowl, the New England Patriots did quite well with two undrafted free agent pickups that went from round one to round seven and didn't hear their names called. So if, in fact, you're unable to draft Tease Tabor or Quincy Wilson or Lattimore from Ohio State or Jones from Washington or Sutton from Tennessee or so many other guys, all is not lost. Because history has has shown us that you can get defensive backs in any round. And, of course, I, for one, I'm a guy who likes to look at history before I make my decision. And when you look at this current crop of defensive backs, projected right now, they say it may be eight to ten defensive backs who may hear their, hear their names called in the first round. According to Mel Kuyper, they have 20 defensive backs who have first and second round grades that they have at the defensive back position. So you know what? Since history always is bound to repeat itself, maybe just maybe, passing on Quincy Wilson, passing on Ted Tabor from Florida, may not be a bad idea. Fourth observation. Any quarterback that's selected from a Power 5 school is not going to be ready. Bottom line. We have now entered into an era of college football where quarterbacks are not being prepared to play in the NFL. They're being trained to win at the college level. And to a degree, that's understandable when you consider the significant salaries that these coaches are being paid. You consider the considerable amount of pressure that's being placed on them to win. Instead of focusing on creating a playbook that will help prepare them for the NFL. Offensive coordinators across the country have instead decided to simplify the playbook, read and react, or in in some cases, literally line up not knowing what play you're going to call and look to the sideline and get your instruction from the coach who will then read the defense. And when you look at this current crop of quarterbacks in this draft, you see that none of the quarterbacks being mentioned as draftable quarterbacks, none of them played in a power high offense. None of them played in a West Coast offense or a pro-ready offense. Deshaun Watson, spread offense. Mitch Trubisky, spread offense. Pat Mahomes, spread offense. What does that tell you? That tells you that the NFL coaches have now been placed in a no-win situation where they are literally playing a guessing game 
there used to be a particular point where you could be able to look at film and to be able to see what talent translates to the NFL level. However, now we've got to the particular point where you have to look at throws and you have to look at film after film after film and still find yourself unsure about the ability of this young man that you're watching of being able to be a quarterback in the NFL. Now, of course, there are definitely exceptions to the rule. Jameis Winston kind of played in a pro-ready offense. Andrew Luck definitely did play in a pro-ready offense. Marcus Mariota played in the spring, and he did quite well in his second year at Tennessee. But the thing is, it's taking those risks. And for me, when I looked at this current crop of class quarterback, it kind of made me think back to the class of quarterbacks, I think it was in 2003, where you had Cade McNown, Akili Smith, Dante Culpepper, where you had coaches, front office, trying to guess on the potential of these quarterbacks. Now, of course, in those quarterbacks' names that I mentioned, they all failed miserably in their debut seasons, and all of them, of course, none of them made it to their second contract in the NFL. And you have to say to yourself, when you look at this current crop and you look at what has started to happen in college football, it seems as if it's become apparent that the missing is only going to find itself becoming that much more erratic, then what are you going to look at? Do you want to expect that whatever training camp that these young men go to over the summer and preparing for the NFL combine all of a sudden means that they're going to be an NFL quarterback? But, hey, that's the current landscape. Unfortunately, at this particular juncture, college football, poor job developing offensive linemen. And it's a poor job in helping the NFL determine if a quarterback could actually play in the NFL. Observation number five. Now, this is the thing that I oftentimes find very exciting. Because, of course, we do know that some years back when um, the San Diego Chargers discovered a basketball player from Kent State, and this guy happened to come in, never played any type of football before in his life, and you found dun, 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 a Hall of Famer, Antonio Gates. And so one of the things I'm going to find very intriguing is, of course, it's always a challenge. is being able to find those guys who are athletes and being able to project how they will perform on the gridiron. San Diego, of course, hit a home run with Antonio Gates. The New Orleans Saints themselves hit a home run with Jimmy Grant. However, we do know that several attempts have been made since then to try to duplicate that that same type of success of being able to translate a young man's ability on the basketball court to the football field. And those attempts, in most cases, have failed miserably. And I'm just intrigued to find out which basketball player will be the latest attempt to uncover the next Jimmy Graham or the next Antonio Gates. Observation number seven is that oftentimes we find players who have talent, 
but just found themselves just mired in the injury bug. And, of course, like when I had on the opening of the show, when I had my guests on, uh, one of the players we talked about was Anna, Anne Zalone. There we go. I always get his name wrong. The talented linebacker from Florida. And it's very interesting when you look at him. Oftentimes, when you just look at the tape of this guy, you see that this young man has a lot of talent to play in the NFL. And if, in fact, he actually had a clean bill of health, many people were saying that he could have been the next Luke Keaton. So I just wonder how the injury history will be approached. As we see in some sports like basketball, I oftentimes compare the sports almost interchangeably. I saw that there was a young man who played for the Golden State Warriors, you know, Steph Curry, battled injuries, but he found himself committing to a different workout regimen, and things changed. So I'm wondering, in either day two of the draft, which team is going to look at their athletic staff, their medical staff, and say, listen, this young man has battled injuries his entire time in Gainesville. But if, in fact, we're able to get him healthy and keep him healthy, this guy could be a dynamic player on our team. So we're going to see. That's one observation I'm looking to watch out for. And the last and final observation that I find myself looking out for is, now, throughout, since the national championship game, We've seen experts, pundits, so-called experts get on their soapbox and say that Joe Mixon was undrafted. And I just wonder, as the days grow closer and closer to the draft, do you guys really think this guy's not going to get drafted? I mean, do you guys really think this guy's not going to get drafted? I, for one, think that one of the reasons, although, of course, I am one who is an advocate for the policy by the NFL, even though I have my own uh, criticisms about it, the worst thing that could have happened is if Joe Mixon was invited and he blew up. And that not that would have not been the type of attention that the NFL would have wanted. When you look at all the other running backs in this class, don't get me wrong, Fournette, Cook, McCaffrey, Foreman, Kamara, I call him Kalamara, Kamara, and others. Let's be real, y'all. All those guys that I just named, they're great backs. They're great college backs. But let me tell you guys one thing that they don't have that Joe Mixon has. Now, of course, we know it's tape. But it's also a clean bill of health. There's also less carries than all those bags that I just mentioned. And could you imagine if Joe Mixon would have been invited to the NFL combine, ran the 4-3, killed it in the three-cone drills? That just would not have been the attention that the NFL combine would have wanted. But I think this guy's going to get drafted, and I'm more certain of it than anything. But the NFL Combine's here. We have 185 days until kickoff. Until then, let's enjoy the countdown. Let it continue. Peace.
Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Until next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.